Week before last, we studied verses 1 through 10. And this morning, we want to look at verses 11 through 22. As we begin our study of Ephesians today, I think it's helpful to remember that the primary theme of this letter is the glory of Christ in the life of the church. In other words, how is Jesus glorified in the life of the church? And talking about bringing glory to God through the life of the church. As the church, we are the visible expression of the relationship between Christ and the believer and the glory that brings to God. And Paul highlights in this section the historical work of Christ and what he does through his spirit in our lives today in in this process building a new society called the church. And the specific theme of Ephesians 2 is how Jesus creates one new family out of two groups who are enemies. That's what this section is about. Jesus destroying the enmity, destroying the hatred, the alienation between us and God first and foremost, but also destroying the hatred and the alienation and the hostility, as Paul speaks of here, between Jew and Gentile, between all of humanity. Because there is great hostility. So my, my proposition is simply this. In Christ, we are a new family created to display God's glory to the world. In Christ, we are a new family created to display God's glory to the world. So three points this morning in this passage, but first, let's read through it. Look, look in verse 11 with me of chapter 2. By the way, just um, where, I don't know if in your Bible there's a little heading. Does it say one in Christ in your heading? Good. That's not inspired. <laughs> Everything afterwards is. That's just the, uh, the, the translators wanting to help you understand the passage. Therefore, and it is important that you understand, therefore is referring to the previous verses that Paul was just writing. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 
And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Lord, please help us this morning. Lord, I pray for my dear friends in this church that you would give them ears to hear eyes to see that you would bring illumination to every heart here and that each person Lord I pray would encounter you personally and help me Father help me to speak truth to speak with clarity to speak with passion to bring glory to you in Jesus name alright three points Three main points. What is what has Jesus done is my question. Three things. In him we have been brought near to God. That's what Paul tells us. It, first point is in him we've been brought near to God. Secondly, he tells us in him we now have access to the Father. In Jesus we can access God personally. And thirdly, in him we are now God's dwelling place. Not only do we have access to God... But God has accessed us. He dwells in us. So look at the first point. In Him we have been brought near to God. Now remember in, in the beginning of this chapter in verses 1 through 3. All, all of mankind is separated from God by sin and death. All of humanity is what Paul is talking to. In verses 11 and 12, the Ephesian Gentiles are who Paul is specifically writing to and who are enemies of God as Paul begins. They're they're separated from God. They're separated from the nation of Israel. They're separated by their birth, by just simply being Gentiles. And they're separated by sin. Paul, Paul writes in verse 11, Therefore, remember that at one time... You Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I don't know of a more sobering, Scripture, a more depressing and despairing passage than this one to to be told you have no hope and you are without God in this world. No hope and no God. The, The Gentiles understand where the contempt of Israel. The Ephesian Gentiles, the church of Ephesus, was primarily made up of 
Greeks and uh, some Romans, uh, but a f- just a few Jews. Ephesus was that international city, much like New York, filled with many religions, many ethnicities, uh, but mostly Greeks. And, and the, the Ephesian church was made up of, of primarily Gentiles. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, when Paul is talking to them, he's saying, look, as a Gentile, prior to coming to Christ, you were the contempt of Israel. You were the uncircumcision. You were the one that the Israelites looked down upon with contempt as, as though you were dogs. That's what Israel thought about Gentiles. That's what Israel thought about these folks. One Jewish scholar said of the Gentiles, simply, they were created to be fuel for the fires of hell. That's how the Jews viewed the Gentiles. They were less than human to them. And Paul reminds these Gentiles, he says to them, therefore remember, remember what your life was like, that you were Christless. You were without separated from Christ, without Christ in your life. You were stateless. You were not a citizen of Israel like the Jews were. You were hopeless. You had no hope in this life. You were friendless. You were a stranger. And you were godless. There was nothing for you to look for. Simply put, Paul says they were, you were far away from God. Now, we're talking about ancient times. We're talking about 2,000 years ago. We're talking about Gentiles and Jews. But, but understand, um, if it were today, I guess most of you here are Gentiles. I'm the only Jewish kid in the room right now. <laughs> you you were you were less than uh, you were less than human. That's that's the reality of what Paul is saying here. And and but but Paul is Paul's not just treating the Gentiles and reminding them of where they were. He's also if if you'll notice he's he's made it clear towards the Jews as well. They've got a problem. Because he says here, what is called the circumcision, which is made, <clears throat> which is made by the flesh, by hands. In other words, he's, he's saying, look, the, this circumcision that you Jews t- take such pride in, that says that you are God's people that have separated you, that circumcision, hey, that's, that's made in the flesh by hands. In, in other words, it's a human thing. In the eyes of God, it doesn't count anymore. Something else has happened. To Paul, circumcision was a thing of the past. Something else had gone on. What was now important to him was what Jeremiah 4.4 speaks of when when Jeremiah prophesying says that there's going to be a circumcision of the heart. No longer a circumcision of the flesh, but a circumcision of the heart, which is what was important to Paul. Which is why he's able to, to write to these Gentiles to say to them, therefore remember that at one time. Because no more. Yeah, you're not of the circumcision of the flesh, Paul says, but you are a circumcision of the heart. God has come. In both Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 and, and in this section, Paul gives a description of, of what life is like without Christ for both Jew and for both the Gentile. And it's, it's not pretty. 
All were dead in trespasses and sins. All were disobedient. All were under Satan's power. All were by nature objects of wrath. And, and now he goes on in this section in 11 through 22 to say, okay, now this is what it's like specifically for you Gentiles. It's also in both passages that God wants us to see something not just about who we were, but who we are now. He wants us to see in both passages God's immeasurable grace, the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards those who believe, the working of God's great might, that he is greater than any sin that separates us, than any ethnicity that separates us, than, than any religion that separates us. God is greater than all those things. That there is nothing that should separate us from God in Christ. Whether you're circumcised in the flesh or not. Whether you were born a poor Gentile. Or you were an upper class Greek Gentile. Or whether you were born a Jew and circumcised. It doesn't matter. God has done something in Christ. And in Christ we are now near to God. No matter who we are, and no matter who our background, and what our background is, where we came from, no matter who our family was, in Christ we are near to God. Look at Ephesians 2.4. Just back up a little bit to where we spoke. Paul's talking about in the first three verses who we are nature, by nature children of wrath. We're disobedient. We're dead in our sins. But then in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, all who have experienced God's electing grace are alive together in Christ. But then look in verse 13 of chapter 2. There's a parallel here. Look how Paul writes again, But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jew and Gentile alike, dead in sin, separated from Christ, but God, but now. They've been brought near to God, these Gentiles, through the sacrificial blood and death of Jesus Christ. Now, understand, up until this time, the only group of people that could benefit from a blood sacrifice was who? The nation of Israel. They could experience the atoning work of blood, they could experience the atoning work of the death of an animal. Not the Gentiles. But now Paul writes to them, Look, in Christ, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. See how he's just obliterated this separation between Jew and Gentile. Where the Jews would have been proud of their heritage and their ability to be sanctified their ability to be atoned through the blood of animal sacrifices by the priests entering the holy of holies now the gentiles themselves and it's really it's it's a word to the jews hey you're not special anymore stop being arrogant stop being self-righteous we all come to christ through his blood paul has wisely wisely spoken to both groups here because when this letter was read there were both Jew and Gentile in the church he's he's put everybody on level ground but now 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. All of us in this room who've come to faith in Christ, who were once far off, we're all near Christ. Christ has brought us home. You understand that? Christ has brought you home. These despised and degraded men and women, these Gentiles who were the contempt of all Israel, now share life together in Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. The mystery of the gospel has been revealed in this right here. That's what Paul talks about in chapter 1 when he speaks about the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel is... It's not about flesh circumcision. It's not about Jewish heritage. It's about the blood of Christ. It's about God coming in the flesh in Jesus Christ and redeeming all who call upon the name of the Lord. That all of humanity can come to Christ. The gospel has been fulfilled. And that is what Paul is telling these Gentiles. The gospel's real to you. You are now near to God. And, and God has, as, as Paul is writing, God is, is showing us that he is doing the very thing Paul writes about in chapter 1, verse 10, where Paul writes, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's the plan of God to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. God has a plan that one day, this place, this new heaven, this new earth, all things will be united to God in Jesus Christ. Who is that? It's Gentile and Jew. Gentile and Jew. All things. The gospel and the mystery of the gospel has been fulfilled. Now it isn't just the community of Israel that is near to God, but it's the Gentiles as well. That is what Jesus has done. He has brought us near to God. Secondly, in Christ, we now have access to the Father. We now have access to... It doesn't say we have access to God. It says we have access to the Father. We have access to our Father in verse 18. And, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to understand this access. A, a number of years ago when we were living in Atlanta... One of a, a very good friend of mine, and I, just, you know I love golf. A very good friend of mine was a PGA Tour golfer. That's a, for those of you who have no idea about golf, and there are a few of you Gentiles in the room. There, a PGA Tour player is like a professional football player, a professional basketball player, whatever. And so this is the PGA Tour, and he played on the PGA Tour. And so a couple of times a year, I would get the caddy for him on the PGA Tour. Yeah, understand, it's like a, a kid in a candy shop. You know, I'm just having the time of my life. Well, it was 1996, it was the U.S. Open, which is like the Super Bowl of golf, except that in golf there are four Super Bowls. They're called majors. And this is one of the majors. And, and so I'm, I'm caddying for him at the major, at the U.S. Open. And caddies are, are kind of like Gentiles to Jews, um, with golfers and caddies, okay? There's, there is that separation. But Bill, one day, gave me 
a clubhouse pass that said family on it. And it got me into the locker room, the inner sanctuary of golf. (laughs) And there I am standing in the inner sanctuary next to Greg Norman and Payne Stewart and Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus. I had access to places nobody else gets to go. It was, it was a moment in history, I must tell you. (laughs) That was fun access. But access to God the Father. That's what Christ has done for us. And when we stand in that locker room one day, it'll be Moses and Paul, Peter, James, John, Spurgeon, Wesley, Carey, Hudson Taylor, Judson. That'll be the locker room we'll be in. But now, it's not just future. We have access to God the Father now. These verses 14 through 18 are really the centerpiece of this passage. Read along with me. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Paul explains how deep the division was between Jew and Gentile before Christ's coming and what he has done to create this new society called the church. In this section, he, he transitions not just from speaking to Gentiles, but he's speaking to, <clears throat> excuse me, to Jews as well. He's speaking to both because, as you'll notice, he moves from you, you, you in verses 11, 12, and 13 to now, for he himself is our peace. <clears throat> Jew and Gentile. He is our peace. Here is the heart of reconciliation between God and man, Jew and Gentile, between all who have come to faith in Christ. Jesus Christ himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Five ways. Let Let me go through just five quick ways that Jesus brought us peace and gave us access to the Father, we see in this passage. In verse 14, it says, He made us one, who has made us both one. He made us one. Jew and Gentile were united. We were no longer two separate entities. When somebody comes into to Grace Church, they don't try to identify Jew and Gentile. They don't identify by ethnicity, by race, by religion. They identify by Who has come to faith in Christ? We are one in Christ. He has made us one. He took two enemies and made them one. Secondly, in verse 14, he says he destroyed or broke down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. There was this wall. There was this this physical wall. 
that, that was uh, in, the, in the courtyard, in the temple. Here you have the temple and you've got the place, the Holy of Holies. And the thing that separated the priest from the Ark of the Covenant was this curtain. And then you had this outer court where, where the priest would go. And then you had another court, was, which was the, the court of the Jews, which was just where only the Jewish men could go. So there's another outer court. And then there's another further court where Jewish women could go called the court of women. So you went from the court of priests to the, the court of the commoner to the court of women. And then you would go down five steps and there'd be this dividing wall. And you'd have to go around this dividing wall and on the other side of the wall was another 14 steps down. And, there was, and down there was this court that went around the temple. And that court was called the court of the Gentiles. And there was both a physical where the Jews were above and the Gentiles were below. But also the Gentiles were on the outside. And they've discovered in archaeology, in some of the temples, they've discovered signs in Greek that literally said, if you trespass, you will die as a Gentile. But the Gentile could not ever go beyond that court. That is this dividing wall. That's what separated them. In all my travels to India, throughout all the cities I've been, the one thing that is common is you see, because of a caste system, because of the wealth and rich and poor, but even beyond that, every home in India has a six-foot wall that, that walls off their home with an iron gate that locks so that nobody can get in. And on top of the wall are embedded shards of glass and metal so that people can't climb in. There is a dividing wall in all these homes in India. And even in the villages that I go to where you have grass huts, dirt floors, grass sides, the villagers themselves have erected walls around their own huts of branches so that nobody could get in. That's the world in which we live. Since Adam's fall, the world has always been a divided place. Ever since Adam's fall. Divisiveness is a constant characteristic of every community without Christ. It is a constant characteristic of every community without Christ. The Jews had a physical dividing wall among, between them and the Gentiles. And Paul writes that Christ has broken it down. He has broken down in his flesh. He has destroyed, it says in the NASB, he has destroyed in his flesh, in his death, in his physical sacrifice, he has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. Not just distance, of hostility between Jew and Gentile. He has destroyed that. Because the alienation the Jews and the Gentiles had was simply just a symbol of the alienation that we have before God. That every one of us, every one of us was hostile to God and God was hostile to us when we were in our sin. And this is a, a beautiful symbol, a beautiful picture of Christ's death on the cross, shedding his blood for us, 
destroying the hostility, not just between Jew and Gentile, but ultimately between God and man. That Christ died to circumcise the, the heart spiritually in us, that we would be regenerated, we'd be born again. That wall of hostility between us and God, when the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, not from bottom to top, from top to bottom, God in Christ destroyed the dividing wall of hostility between man and himself. And the benefit is that it is also destroyed between man and man. Man and woman, woman and woman. No hostility should exist between us. And that has practical implications for us as a church. Which I will go on later on in Ephesians. Because now's not time to do it. But it does have practical implications on how we live with one another. And that we break down. We do not allow any dividing walls of hostility among us. That Christ has come and died and broken those walls down. How dare we ever in Christ erect new walls between us? Yes, we may have differences. We may have disagreements. But Jesus, his priestly prayer in John 17 was that they may be one. That is what we shoot for. That is what we strive for. That we bring glory to God because he has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. Thirdly, he has abolished the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. In other words, what, he, what was separating Jew and Gentile were these ordinances, these regulations about what you should not touch and what you should not eat. Jesus didn't break down, he didn't abolish the moral law, the Ten Commandments, but he abolished these ordinances, the law of regulations. Thank God he did because this Jewish kid loves lobster. He abolished the Mosaic regulations that separated, that the Jews used as a means by which to separate themselves from the Gentiles, to call them filthy and unclean. And Jesus abolishes those, reg those regulations. And Paul reminds them of that. And in verse 15, the, the fourth one, he creates a new man. Of two, making peace. Look at verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. He might create in himself one new man. He's made us. He destroyed the, the dividing wall. He abolished the law. He created one new man. And in verse 16, he reconciled us both to God. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body. You both have been changed. You both have been regenerated. Now you both, you are one in Christ. No more walls. No more dividing wall. And he did this all through the gospel. Look at verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. It's because of the gospel. Jesus preached the gospel by his life. He preached the gospel to Jew and Gentile. It wasn't just the Jews that heard the gospel. Centurion soldiers. 
Jew and Gentile, were affected by the gospel. He preached peace. And preaching peace, preaching the gospel, it produces unity. It breaks down the dividing walls. Because it puts us all on equal footing. We are all equally sinners before God. We are all equally disobedient before God. We are all equally separated from God. We are all equally hopeless without God. But preaching the gospel brings us to God. God has in Christ brought us near by His blood. And He's made us one through the cross by preaching the gospel. He's killed the hostility God had towards us because of our sin and he's killed the hostility that we have towards one another by making us one new man and giving us all together access to the Father that Jew and Gentile alike kneel before the throne of God. And then thirdly, what has Jesus done? He's brought us near. He's given us access to the Father. And thirdly, In him, his church is the place where God now dwells. He dwells with us. He dwells with us. Not only has he given us access to the Father, but he makes us his dwelling place. We have a whole new identity in Christ. Look at verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. You're no longer separated from God and from one another. But now you're fellow citizens. You have a citizenship in God's kingdom. And you're saints and members of God's household. So now you're not just a citizen, but you're also a family member. And thirdly, you're being built together. Built on the foundation of the Apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. God has made us citizens. He has made us family members. He has made us his dwelling place by abolishing the dividing walls, by tearing them down, By creating one new man. And that one new man is us. It is his church. It is Grace Church. This is Grace Church. This is a commentary on Grace Church. When you think about Grace Church, this is what you need to think about. There's nothing that separates us. We are are not to be hostile to one another. We are together in Christ. We are one in Christ. We are one new man. We're not two. We're not divided anymore. And God is giving us access to Him together. And God is dwelling among us together. What does this mean for us practically? Two things. It means God receives glory by the way we live with one another. The world's a divided place. Something the church should strive to never be. But the world is a divided place. God's universal family, it does have its differences. Whether it's cultural differences, whether it's ethnicity differences. We do have differences. We do have different opinions. God has uniquely created us that way. But that should never divide. That should never divide. But 
even when we do have differences. And there's time where sin just gets in the way. Our pride and our arrogance, our self-righteousness. There are times when it gets in the way. But even in our differences, and this is what I, this is my prayer and my appeal to this church that I love, that we treat one another in a way that always brings glory to God and never shame. That we love one another. You may not agree with me. I may not agree with you. We may have a strong difference of opinion. I may offend you. You may offend me. But we will work these things out as God has designed in His Word. And we will treat one another in such a way that brings glory to God and not shame. It means God receives glory by the way we live one another. And finally, it means God receives glory when we're a blessing to the world. Listen, understand this. God's intention for Abraham and for the nation of Israel was that all families on earth would be blessed and that Israel would be a light to the nations. That was the plan that God had for the nation of Israel. That's what God told Abraham in Genesis 12.3. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. Here's the problem. Israel forgot her vocation. Israel forgot. And rather than fulfilling her vocation of being a light to the Gentiles, of being a blessing to all the families of the earth, they became arrogant and self-righteous and separated themselves and built a wall of hostility. They forgot their vocation, which was to be a light to the world. And rather than being a light to the Gentiles, they became self-righteous in their view as God's chosen people. It's been given to us as a church to be a light to the world. I don't want us to forget our chosen vocation. God intends for us, for Grace Church, to be a visual model of the gospel, to demonstrate before people's eyes the good news of reconciliation. If we cannot be reconciled among ourselves, how can we ever anticipate and expect that the world is going to be reconciled to Christ through us? You know, Paul began this passage with therefore. Look at verse 11. Therefore. Well, he's referring back. And look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember. Let us walk in the good works that God has has created us to walk in since the foundation of the world that we might be a light to the Gentiles ultimately for what Paul says three times in chapter 1 to the praise of his glory to the praise of his glory to the praise of his glory